so bummed that's the last time I get to see that video. I've just grown so accustomed to it. Um, hey, we're so glad you're joining us this morning. Um, so uh, in our house, uh, we've been asking our, our kids to start doing more things themselves, like on their own, without our help. See, my wife and I are raising two daughters, six and nine years old, and if you've ever been in a season like ours, you can probably attest to this thing that there becomes a time where you, as parents, start getting sick and tired of doing everything for your kid. Is that any, anybody else? Everything? Like everything. And we have been in this phase of trying to help our daughters understand, no, you can fill your own water glass. No, mom and dad don't have to put your shoes away for you when you get home. That's actually your job. Okay, so... And, and I want to, it's just been an ongoing process, and no part of this has been harder than the bathroom part of this. Okay, before I continue, not like wiping and stuff. Although, I will say this, definitely a battle with my youngest, who we kind of realized just really enjoyed her parents doing that for her. She was like, yes, I'm fancy. I have people who do that for me. You know? <laughs> but, but I'm talking about more like the using of product, like putting toothpaste on, on, on a toothbrush when they're getting ready for a bed by themselves. I, I would peek into the bathroom when they would be getting ready and, and brushing their teeth, and, and half of me was like proud parent, like, oh, look at them. They're like little grown-ups. They do things by themselves. And the other half would be like, that is too much toothpaste you're using. <laughs> I can tell because the entire bottom half of your face is foam. <laughs> you are foaming at the mouth. You look like you have rabies. Another real issue that's popped up with my youngest is the whole washing her hands thing. And it's not whether or not she should wash her hands. She, she has that down, thank God. But, but like how much time she's actually spending washing her hands and how much soap she's using. The other day, I opened our bathroom door and there's Emmy and she's just the cutest little six-year-old. She's like a little mischievous like pixie and she's standing in front of the sink and the sink is just overflowing with bubbles, like bubbles everywhere, ground, sink, cabinet, mirror somehow, I don't even know. And she's having the time of her life, just smiling like, hey, I'm washing my hands. So glad you could join me. <laughs> and, and that begun a new lesson for my wife and I to work on with Emmy, and it was learning how much soap is actually needed and how much soap is too much soap. And I started doing this with her to help her learn. I would say, okay, Emmy, uh, show me how you wash your hands. I, I just, I wanna watch, I wanna see how much soap you're using. And she would look at me and she'd smile and she'd pump one pump of soap in her hands and a second pump of soap. Three, four, five, six, <laughs> six pumps, just like ba 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 ba, and I'm like Emmy, 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 Emmy. I know you enjoy using the soap, but it's too much. And that is how my daughter learned to not like washing her hands so much. Great influence, right? I'm actually going to start doing uh, parenting seminars. <laughs> can sign up in the lobby. But I thought about this the other day because someone showed me these videos that are getting really popular on TikTok. Watch this for a second.
just hearing muted shock, like disbelief from you guys, like, oh my gosh. So, so the first thought I have is, God, let my kids never discover TikTok. <laughs> and my next thought was, that is so weird. Why do they do this? So these videos are called product overload videos. It's a real thing. Six million, seven million views. And here's what I learned, thanks to goodhousekeeping.com, which now explains all trends to me. Um, product overload videos <laughs> have become popular as the audio associated with mixing handfuls of different cleaning liquids, powders, and solutions can seem satisfying and others react to the rainbow-like hue that these mixtures end up producing. Okay, so it's aesthetically pleasing. Okay, and it's become wildly popular with TikTok viewers because it's fun to look at and fun to listen to. Check, that's, uh, that's weird. But I read a bit more on it and it turns out that obviously, guys, product overload like we saw is actually harmful to you. Like healthcare experts talk about how, hey, you can't just mix together so many different kinds of chemicals that can really do damage to like your respiratory system. And if that doesn't bother you, think about your plumbing, okay? Plumbing, so many different people who would know, say, hey, flushing that many different kinds of powders and gels and cleaning solutions can actually clog your pipes. It creates this sludge that just sits there. Okay, so what this tells us about excessive product use like this, it's actually a lesson for us this morning, and the lesson is this. What might seem good on the outside isn't always good on the inside. Let's throw it up there. What might seem good on the outside isn't always good on the inside. You see that? We might come across things that seem aesthetically pleasing. They might look good, but we would be surprised to find that, that some of those things, they aren't what they appear to be. Okay, now maybe you've experienced this. We've probably all had experiences with like, let's say food, food that looks good, and then just one bite reveals, yeah, not that good. Somebody scraped flour off the ground and put it in there. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, I'm sorry. I had a friend, I had a friend. I had a friend who was invited to an event, and at the event, there was this well-known baker who makes these beautiful, outlandish cakes that are made to look like other, have you guys seen this stuff? Like, it's in, that's, a, that's, a, that's not real toilet paper, that's actually a cake. Okay, so my friend is like, dude, these cakes looked incredible. They were lifelike, they were beautiful. And then we took a bite and we were like, yeah, this is awful. <laughs> this is the worst thing we have ever tasted. It sure looked like a bag of Doritos, but it was awful. It wasn't even cake, it was garbage, it was dry. It had no flavor. It looked good though, right? Like, here's what he said. He thought, I, I think they had spent so much time on the outside of the cake and not any time on the inside of the cake. Things that look good on the outside aren't always good when you actually experience what's on the inside, okay? Maybe you've met people. Maybe you've even been the kind of person that you would say, man, from the outside, they really had it all together. They seem like such a pleasant person or, or they just seem like they had it all. And then when you got to know them, you realized that that shiny outer part of them, the stuff you could see with your eyes and, and experience from brief encounters with them, was nothing like what was on the inside. Like they were harboring extreme bitterness or, or jealousy 
or real insecurity. And after you encounter that in them, you just went, man, all that work that went into their outside and the inside is just a mess. And here's the great news. The great thing is that Paul, writing in Philippians 4.8, this verse we've been reading all this month, tells us to focus on the inside instead. He says, focus on your thoughts. And he gives us these two things that I wanna show you today that, that are gonna change your inside and in return, they're gonna change your outside. Let's take a look at this verse. We've been reading it this past four or five weeks. And it says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, the, the two words that Paul gives us that we're gonna wrap up this whole series with is right and pure. And those are our words today. Whatever is right, whatever is pure, think about such things. But, but hold on to that. Let's go back to the initial idea because what might seem good on the outside, that idea that that's not always good on the in, inside because no one knew that better than Paul. When we first meet Paul, He's a very different person than the man who's writing these words that we're reading today. We meet Paul, and he's a member of the Pharisees, which was a cross between a political party and a religious faction. And they were known for how much emphasis they put on the outside, the appearance of things. Before we ever really ever encounter Paul, we meet this club he's a part of. It's the Pharisees, because in the Gospels, the Pharisees become the chief group that's there, challenging Jesus at every turn of his ministry, trying to catch Jesus slipping up, trying to trap him in a conversation that could potentially reveal to everyone around Jesus that he was a fraud, that, that he wasn't really the son of God like he was claiming he was. For instance, there's a scene in Matthew where we see Jesus and his disciples having dinner with tax collectors. And the Pharisees see this and they freak out. And they ask the disciples, hey, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See what they're doing? They're trying to gatekeep. They're saying, this looks bad. Why is he doing this? Nothing that looks like this can be holy or righteous or pure. But, but you see what they're doing, right? They're defining what's pure and what isn't. They're defining what's righteous and what isn't, and they're going with the things they can see. And there are tons and tons of interactions like this in the Gospels. And you see the role the Pharisees are playing. They're like referees with little whistles going, no, I saw Jesus doing that. No. That's my whistle. You can't do that. Side note, I like to imagine being one of the people who got to be around Jesus maybe even like one of his disciples, like having like a great time, learning so much, loving life, and then seeing the Pharisees coming, just being like, Ugh, those dudes are here. Who invited them? Was it you? Was it you? Judas? Was it you? I, I think that right and pure, rightness and purity are hard to define. And we can associate these things, rightness and purity, we can associate them with the outside and how things look. 
And if we're not careful, we're gonna hear Paul talk about thinking thoughts that are right and thinking thoughts that are pure, and we're gonna have a really restrictive, hard to attain image of what Paul is asking us to do. Right and pure are two adjectives that I am quick to say, oh, I know what that is. I recognize when something is right, and I recognize when something's pure. And, and, I, and I more often, when I think about people who are right and pure, I often think of someone who is better and cleaner than everyone else. And depending on, on who you are, there's a good chance you're sitting here this morning and you're gonna fall into one of two camps on these descriptors, right and pure, okay? And they're not the only two camps, but we're gonna get to that in a moment. First, there's a type of person who's gonna hear what Paul says, hear those words, right and pure, and they're gonna think this. Yeah, righteousness and purity. I've got that figured out. I'm righteous about things. I know right from wrong. I'm pure about things. I'm really careful with my language and what I say and how I act towards people. And not everyone can do it, but, you know, there's not a lot of us out here, but uh, right and pure, yeah, I got it. <laughs> then there's a whole other group of people who would say, yep, righteousness and purity. I know what those two look like, and that is not me. And it never will be. That is an impossible standard to reach. And I am just too sinful to ever be right and pure like Paul is talking about here. Okay, here's the good news. You, you, both these groups, you are fully not grasping what Paul means when he says, think thoughts that are right and think thoughts that are pure. So you can both be wrong together. <laughs> well, we're gonna talk about where we get these words wrong. Okay, so, so first of our two words today, right, whatever is right. Now see, the, the Greek word that Paul uses in this scripture is dikaios, dikaios. It's a term that means righteous or, or just. In fact, here's what it's defined as. It's defined as that which conforms to the perfect standard of God's righteousness. And now see, the Pharisees would have had a definition of what it means to be righteous. We read about it in Mark 2. Let's read this scripture. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick at some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Okay, pause. You see what's going on here, right? The Pharisees are saying, mm, that's work and mm, it's against the rules to work on the Sabbath. See, the standard is follow the rules. That's how we know you're righteous. We will see you follow the rules and we'll go ahead and call you righteous until we see you stop following the rules, then you're not righteous anymore. Easy, right? Okay, next chapter. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. The Pharisees are here going, oh, here we go. We're gonna catch this guy not following the rules. And we read on and we see how Jesus straight up looks at them and he quizzes them on this. He asks, what do you guys think? C can I heal this guy? Can I heal him? It's, it's on the Sabbath. And they don't have an answer. We go on to read, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Jesus heals him. Then we read on to see, the Pharisees then went out 
and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. See, where the Pharisees' idea of righteousness is simply follow the rules, Jesus would say, I've come to make you righteous. I'm going to do something so big on the cross that you will not have to be consumed with the rules and how to be righteous. You're righteous. Now it's time to look to something bigger than that. And you see, there's something here that's bigger than following the rules, and it's this. Follow God's standard, which is love him and love others. And if following the rules allow you to, even for a second, ignore the hurts of people around you, then the rules aren't righteous and the rules aren't just. I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful that I serve a God who saw an opportunity to heal, saw an opportunity to restore, and didn't let the rules get in the way. I had a, I had a friend of a friend who helped manage the ticket counter at an airline. And it was in an airport that was just busy all the time. And her first month as manager, they had someone show up at the ticket counter just in tears, like a wreck. And this person told this story to my friend's coworker. They said, I need your help. I, I have a close family member who's on their deathbed, and I'm flying, or I'm trying to fly to Seattle today because I've been told that this is it. And the flight I had booked was just canceled and I don't know what to do. That other airline is telling me they can rebook me tomorrow, but I don't think I had that kind of time. I need to be there now. I have to be there to say goodbye. My friend's coworker does like that little typey thing and looking at their next flight to Seattle and she tells the guy, well, sir, I have two open seats here, but it turns out I can't give them to you. They're reserved for members of our frequent flyer club. And the man is just taken aback. He's like, is there any way you can give them to me? I will pay for both of them. I don't care. I just need to get to Seattle, and you're my last chance. I've checked the other airlines. You're it. And the lady at the counter is just like, I, I, I can't do anything. My hands are tied. And my friend watches this man walk away, and, and, and he goes, and he sits down, and is just like head in hands, just despondent. Okay, now. That worker is following the rules. The Pharisees would say, mm, yep, that's right. He's following the rules. He's on the club, can't sit in that seat. But my friend is, is watching this take place and she knows that she can do something. She knows that as a manager, she can use her position to get this man to her family. But she also knows that it doesn't set a great example. And she's new in this role, and it's technically against the rules. And even though she wouldn't get in trouble for it, probably, it's just one of those things that any other manager would say, hey, rules are rules. They're set for a reason. And she recognizes now that she has a choice, right? She can go on with a busy day and deal with this long line of busy, hurried travelers all in a rush to get to where they're going. Travelers who have all taken the time and made the arrangements or she can set that aside and help. Now, she chose to help, right? She goes up, she approaches the man, she says, hey, I, I think I can get you on that flight. We've got rules, but I think this goes beyond the rules. And she uses her manager code, and she gets him on the flight. 
gets into his family. He's just crying like, oh my God, thank you so much. See, what my friend knew that the other ticket worker had yet to learn is this. Rightness is more concerned with fixing the world than following the rules. Rightness is more concerned with fixing the world than following the rules. There is pain and isolation. There is loneliness and hurt, and it's happening in the world all around us. There are wrongs being done to other people in situations that need healing and reconciliation. And we can hide behind so many things. We can hide behind rules and what's proper. We can hide behind traditions and customs. We can hide behind so many things. And and, and sometimes we can allow those things to feed our apathy towards the wrongs that we see being committed to someone else. Or the situations around us that create hurt. But The reality is this. We are going to find ourselves in positions or circumstances throughout our lives where our influence or our skill or even just the abundance of time and energy we have have the potential to make things better, to fix things, to correct things that have been done, to right wrongs, to bring about justice in unjust situations, to help make things better. And so here is the right question, all right? This is a question that's going to allow us to test if our thoughts, if our mind is right. It's the filter that Paul gives us to put our thoughts through, and it's this. What in the world around me needs to be fixed? What in the world around me needs to be fixed? All right, let's talk about the second of today's words, pure, whatever is pure. Paul says, whatever is pure, think on these things. And so we look back to the Greek, which is the word hognos, hognos, meaning clean, undefiled, free from stain. And again, the Pharisees show us in their confrontations with Jesus how they define pure. In Matthew 15, we read about an encounter Jesus has with the Pharisees. It says this, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Side note, my daughter might actually be a Pharisee. (laughs) And we see Jesus' response a few verses down. It says, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. All right. So what's going on here? The Pharisees have traveled from Jerusalem, the very center of Judaism, and they've done it to confront Jesus. I like to imagine them getting up early, like all game planning it, like you say this, I'll say that. You got your whistle, you got your whistle, good. And they think they have Jesus pegged. You guys are unclean, You're impure, you're not even washing your hands. And Jesus immediately flips it on them. He says, yeah, 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 wash your hands. Let's talk about your motives. Let's talk about your heart. You say you can tell we're impure from our outer behavior, and I say that impurity starts on the inside. You see, under the law, uh, this law the Pharisees worked so hard to gatekeep, they saw being clean as staying separate 
from others. Staying separate from groups of people who they deemed unclean. Gentiles, the sick, the dying, uh, lepers. Separate from outer behavior that maybe signified to others that you were unclean. And under the Mosaic law, touching or having contact with anyone or anything unclean meant you were defiled and you were impure and you couldn't go up to the temple to worship. You had to go through a whole week of purification rituals. And so in their haste to make it so that everyone who needed to would stay clean and would stay pure, the Pharisees are creating all these barriers to define what makes someone clean or unclean. And Jesus comes along and says, no, your inside needs to come first. Then comes the outside. I think if we're talking about inner impurity and sin and how we wrestle with it, the best example we find is, 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 the, is David in Psalm 51. Some of you know the story. King David is the most powerful man in Israel, and he abuses his power in an awful way. He seduces the wife of one of his soldiers. He uses his influence to take her. And then he arranges for her husband to be killed in battle. Just, just an astounding, horrible misuse of power. And he allows what's inside him to let him believe that he can get away with it. Because he's king. Who's going to challenge him? And the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, I know what you've done. You've seduced the wife of one of your soldiers, and you've had him killed. You're unclean. You're impure. David repents. That whole psalm, Psalm 51, it's him verbally lamenting his sin. But his repentance isn't just going through a purification ritual, though I'm sure he did that. He confesses his sin, and he asks God. He says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create a pure heart in me. Create it. It's not there. Bring it into existence. I can't do it. A ritual can't do it. Washing my hands and making sure that the outside is clean and pure doesn't do it. Confessing to you, God, and asking you to fix it does. It's that love in 1 John 1, 9. Where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confession. Maybe you grew up in a religious tradition where confession was a ritual. Where you sat down, maybe in a confessional like this, and you just unloaded everything on someone else. And that's the core of it. I suppose. It's, we're telling God and, and often people who we trust about areas in our heart that we're looking at that aren't pure. Just like the videos we showed you earlier of different members of our community confessing little things they've done that they feel bad about. But it's more than just unloading, right? There's a promise here that God does something in the confessing also. He will purify. See, I think we missed this. We miss this because there's a battle we fight. It's a battle of trying to appear as together and clean and right on the outside. And confession sort of messes that up, doesn't it? Especially when we include other people. A few weeks ago, I had, I had to confess something 
to, to God and to others. Someone I work with had a very valid criticism of something that I was in charge of, and my immediate reaction was defensiveness. And I had a few people tell me, dude, you are really defensive about that. You, you need to figure that out. And I had to sit with that. And as I sat with that, I realized there was something in my heart that was impure. And it was directing, it was causing impure things to come out of me. Like my reactions towards others, how I responded to criticism. And listen, I wish for the sake of my outside facade and the sake of the part of me that leads people publicly on this stage that I could just let it pass and not talk about it. But I had to confess that there was an impurity in my heart. Not just to the people who were affected by that, but I had to confess that to God. I had to say, God, there's a, there's a mistrust of others and pride and insecurity in my heart and it's impurity. And I had to go back to other people, people I trust, who I work with, who know me, and I had to confess that there was an impurity that was causing me to be angry when faced with criticism. So you see, that goes back to where we see Jesus telling the Pharisees, you guys are missing it, he says. You're missing it. That stuff inside, that's the impurity you need to worry about. It is a tangled mess of motives and insecurities and dirt, and it is a mess. And so the pure question, right? The question we're gonna ask ourselves about our thoughts, it's a bit of a no-brainer, and it's this. Is there something in my heart that needs to be made pure? And I'll go ahead and answer that for you. The answer is yes, there is, I'm sorry. I have to help you with this, yes, there is. So we need a new question. And the new question I'm gonna give you is this. Is there something in my heart that needs to be made pure, and what do I do about it? Is there something in my heart that needs to be made pure, and what do I do about it? Now, if the answer to that question, what do I do about it, is keep it inside and maintain your facade about our purity, Paul would say, yeah, try that. Lived a whole life as a Pharisee kept the outside as pure and clean as possible, used so much product, didn't work. <laughs> Paul would say, meeting Jesus like I did taught me that purity isn't just about what I do, but it's about what I think. And about if I'm asking and allowing God to create in me a pure heart, a pure heart that can inspire pure, clean thoughts and real, genuine purity in my actions and how I live my life on the outside. So we have our two questions for the day. We have our right question, what in the world around me needs to be fixed? We got our pure question, is there something in my heart that needs to be made pure and what do I do about it? Well, we, we wanted to end today's time together and, and end this series together with the taking of communion. We started out this morning talking about how our pursuit of thinking things that are right and pure can really be a, a hard, daunting task to think about because we think that it's all about what people can see. And we think it's about our effort and our focus and our energy. And here's what I hope you're leaving today with, and even leaving this series with. As we've talked about Paul's advice to us in Philippians, to find what's true, what's noble, what's lovely and praiseworthy, 
excellent and admirable and right and pure. I hope you know and that you've heard from us this entire series that God longs to partner with you in that. God's plan for you, God's plan for me, God's plan for us was never for us to figure everything out, to somehow find it in ourselves, to cultivate a pure mind and heart, a righteous mind, a righteous heart, one that only thinks about lovely and good and noble things. Do that and then for him to come inhabit your heart, to walk with you through life. That was never the plan. God instead would say to you this morning, you need me for this sort of change. And what's more, you have me for this. I am with you for this journey. And in the taking of communion right now, like we're gonna do, it can be such a great opportunity for us to pause and just say, Jesus, we need you for this. Inside our hearts exists this incredible struggle and we're often doing it backwards. We're focused on the outside and that's not where true change starts. It's where it continues, but, but it can't start there. So as you were walking in this morning, you were handed a set of communion elements. If, if you need more, they're, they're back at the entrances. But, but what we're gonna do now before we do anything with the communion is we're gonna sit and just quiet our hearts for a moment. So hang on to the elements, okay? Just hold on to them for a little bit. I asked Sophia and the team to, to lead us in a song that, that ask God to make us clean, to give us right and pure hearts. So just sit for a little bit with this song and afterwards I'll be up to lead us in the taking of the elements.
lift our souls to another. So give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to Take the bread and hold it in your hands. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. the cup now. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the cup. stand and pray with me as we close out our time together. God, we stand before you now and we're thinking of the cross. We're thinking how this incredible sacrifice of your son on a cross happened so that we could become righteous. Took place so that we would know you and know your incredible plan to redeem us from the inside out. Redeem us so that we would look less to the rules, less to our outward appearance, and so that we would look more to following after your heart. And so that our hearts and our minds will be pure and clean and right and good. We need you for this, Jesus. There's just no way we can do this on our own. We've tried. Our only hope and it's one that we proclaim gladly and joyfully is the fact that you'll partner with us in this transformation. God, we need you. Lord, my hope is now, as we walk away from this place, that you will inspire a passion, a longing for rightness and purity, the sort of rightness and purity that is attainable when we walk with you, when we seek your good, for the world around us, when we commit ourselves to confessing and opening ourselves up to you and the people we trust. God, we love you. And Lord, I pray that this journey of reshaping our minds is one that will continue throughout this year. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. We are so glad you joined us. If you need prayer, come forward. Our elders and our pastors are here to pray with you. Have a great Sunday, and we'll see you back here next weekend. Bye.